Are you ready to go? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Okashina Podcast Anime with Friends. I am Sabrina Ray, the owner of a PlayStation 5. With me is Don, the not owner of a PlayStation 5. Or four, or three, or two. The crowd is booing you, Dawn. I'm so Boo. sorry. Boo! Princess Bride. I mean, it's it's amazing that that boo was so iconic <laughs> that people who recognize it just from the boo. Just from it's the boo alone. It's true. I used to go by the name boo, but I don't really do that anymore. Anyway, Dawn, I got the PlayStation 5. It's, uh, it's been pretty cool. I don't want to talk too much about it, but I will say that... Um, I played Demon's Souls, uh, the remake that they did. That was a really cool PS3 game where it was just one of the hardest games I've ever played in my life, and I was so happy when I finished it. But I have to tell you, the first time I played that game, I cheesed everything. I chose I chose the Royal as my class, and that is basically um, a magic user who gets a great spell early on and is therefore able to sort of spam through a lot of the early challenges. And by the time you get through those and you level up your character, you're able to like level up and get like more powerful spells and better weapons. So like that character could do lots of damage and stuff. And this time I decided to go through because now it's like 60 frames per second. It's gorgeous. They redid everything. Um, but it's still the same core game, and uh, it's it's one of the most challenging games I've ever played because I'm going through with just my um, like Naginata style like uh, pole arm. What's that called? A halberd. Halberd, yes. Yeah, from halberd. my Ultima Five days. Yes, um, I'm going through with a halberd, and it's you know it's it's a difficult weapon to use in corridors. <laughs> you are not you're not wrong. You should get yourself a good morning star. I've been poking when I go through the corridors, but um, it's one of the best games and uh, it really shows you the next generation. Um, Graphics out of this world, fidelity, great. Also the the frames per second makes buttery smooth gameplay, but you also have this 3D sound, like there was this dragon flying overhead and I could hear it above me and I, I jerked down and like I squealed like a pig and I hurt my shoulder. Because, uh, the perils of gaming while old. Yeah, right. I, I will just say, though, I, in defense of your being a, a royal the first time around, uh, it's okay to play tough games on easy settings to just enjoy them. Oh, you know, but it does take away from the triumph. I, I think, I think, like, when the, when, the, when the frames would drop and when it was really, like, it was really a... a, a it was, it was a long time between when you died and when you came back in the old days, like minutes. <laughs> uh, there was a huge penalty to dying. But now it's almost instantaneous that you're just back again and you can try again. So but, the penalty sorry, is, is less for dying than it is was. Is the penalty less because it just takes so long? It used to take so long to load? Yes. So I'm willing now to die more. Um, and possibly lose progress because this is the this is the game that sort of established the whole Dark Souls thing where you die, you drop all your experience points that you haven't spent yet on the ground, 
And if you don't make it back to your bloodstain, you lose them forever. <laughs> so it'll it, it, the checkpoints are few and far between, but you got to get back to that bloodstain. Otherwise, you're done. You're done, son. You're done. Fair enough. Um, the other game I'm playing on that is uh, the one that came with it, Astro Bot uh, Playroom. Astro's Playroom. Um, and one of the things about the PlayStation controller that's really neat is you pull both triggers in and uh, it has adaptive adaptive triggers. So it has resistance. And depending on how much you're, like force you're exerting or like how much you want to open up your throttle or something, you can feel resistance and then it clicks when it like gets to maximum and like the controller shakes and you can feel the haptic feedback all throughout the controller. And it also has a speaker. So if you're like on ice, you can hear like the sounds of like the ice blades cutting the ice. It's really cool. Um, and I'm playing Bug Snacks, which is a lot darker than I even anticipated. It's weird, but it's also very weird and dark. And it's it's also LGBT friendly. There's two same-sex couples in it, but they're like weird Muppety, ugly dolls kind of things. Oh, how lovely. Yeah, so what's up with you? What's going on? Not too much. I recently purchased a new TV, which was supposed to be delivered today and was not. So I'm a little bit disappointed about that. That is disappointing. Uh, But once it arrives, I'll have an OLED 77-inch monstrosity to presumably game on and watch movies on god i hate the word presumably the way you just said it it makes me think that you're just gonna let this beautiful thing sit there unlived untouched in a terrible marriage with you that's that's a major overstatement of what i'm going to do i am absolutely going to put this baby through its paces um it's 4k (laughs) tv i'm really hoping that uh you know this is your first 4k it will be my first 4K, yes. Very cool. What what I would like to do... Gosh, what is the movie? Uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Yes. So there we go. Yes. So Fury Road, I watched it when it first came out on my not-at-all-shabby 63-inch television. Uh, and I remember stopping the, my wife and I just... I, it was this, I think it was a Friday night. And we were like, oh, we're not going out. We'll just watch a movie. We started watching about 30 minutes in, and I paused the movie and turned to her and said, Holy shit. Like, it was just amazing, that movie. Like, it really just blew my mind, the, sort of the, the scope and the the impact that the visuals had on you, the, the viewer. And I yeah. I actually want to revisit that uh, on a new 77-inch 4K uh, TV in all its glory. It is an amazing movie. Um, I actually recommend the 3D version which is not 4k um just because it's it's so dynamic the action like the people who are pogoing on the long sticks between cars the the like the the the, um the s&m guitarist who's all in bondage (laughs) like his flaming guitar goes like flying at you it's not gimmicky but it's like it is gimmicky (laughs) I was going to say, the, I, this sounds lovely, but I can't do that with my wife because she gets uh, very easily ill at such things. And Well, it's okay because basically 3D is dead. <laughs> so. She took a giant dump on Avatar, even though we saw it in the uh, IMAX theater. And uh, I saw it in 3D. And frankly, it was 
pretty amazing there. Um, oh, I've been canceled so many times for liking that movie, but I don't you care. Know, I, I think it's enjoyable. I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was a spectacular piece of cinema when it dropped. Um, I agree that its cultural resilience has been minimal. Um, it is not... It, it, it fell very quickly. Uh, it made a splash when it fell, but then sank deep under the ocean, and we haven't seen it since. But like the, the, don't worry. Are you are making a Titanic more? reference? Because that's hilarious. Uh, I wasn't, but now I am. <laughs> yeah, you are. But now we have, uh, you know, another five Avatar movies to enjoy. Yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> five Avatar movies that some people must have asked for at some point. Uh, certainly it was us, was it not? I I mean, I bought Avatar to watch it in 3D on Blu-ray, and I love it. And I love the ride at Disney World so much. It's, um, you ride the dragons, and it's, it's very immersive, uh, almost like VR. But, um, yeah, I don't know anyone who was like, Avatar 2 through 5, please. More Jake Sully. <laughs> You're gonna, I mean... Who knows? I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. But, and I think we've mentioned this uh, on here before. I, I, what I really want uh, uh, is the sequel to Alita. Thank you. Yeah. That's exactly what I want. I know you do. I know you do because we have mentioned it. But you know what? It's not coming. The only other thing I want to talk about is um, I watched a little bit. I watched two episodes of The Blood of Zeus on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Is that any good? It's not bad. Um, the animation really takes a hit, though. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened in the production, but Castlevania was not always the prettiest show, but I feel like they were a little bit smarter about their animation and they didn't overreach. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like bodies are just sort of like like skipping across frames. Like It's very strange the way that like some of the like action and... Uh, sort of the more fantastical elements of the action in the show play out. But it reminds me a lot of Castlevania and sort of the way there's like this one part where a demon gets stabbed through the gut and he's stuck to a tree and he just sort of pulls himself off like by like shimmying up the spear that stabbed him. Like I, I remember seeing a lot of that kind of similar like smart action in Castlevania, which they also, they both are very like... Um, like I would say Blood of Zeus is very classic anime. Um, it looks like something that was made almost in the 80s. The story, I'm not sure about yet. It's it's still not grabbing me, which is a problem. But the characters are decent. And I mean, I'm not that enthralled with some of the designs of the villains. They look very generically zombie-like. But I will, I will take a throwback. I've been watching a couple episodes of Trigun. <laughs> I love that show. I want to see it again. I know. I was well, thinking of covering it in this show at some point. I, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't object to going back and doing that. Uh, it's. It's. It has parts that I. I mean, I just don't remember it well enough. But I remember every time I see it, I'm like, oh yeah, that I love that particular element, and it's got a lot of good quotables. But it does a very good job with very poor graphics in conveying the story and just, you know giving a lot of it really does depend upon the director and the the ability to frame the action so that the it is the human mind that fills in the gaps mm. and adds the level of excitement well um, now that you're talking about that the animation 
We're here to talk about Eizo Ken 9 and 10, and I would say that this is the Kanamori episode. Um, aim for Comet A, which would be episode 9. It basically tells us kind of where she comes from, and, and it, it displays how she kind of got to be the person that she is. She obviously was already that person in some ways, because when she was a child, I mean, she was already kind of seeing the world for in a way that other people might not have, um, sort of understanding how marketing and economics work on some instinctual level. Let's let me just set it up real quick and say that um, they go on this excursion with Kanamori and um, they find out that she like they're, they're they go to this ramen shop that serves fruit ramen, which sounds absolutely dreadful, <laughs> even to me. And I don't like ramen that much, but it does sound dreadful to me. But apparently it was tasty because the girls ended up liking it. I, I feel like we need to take more liberties with that. Like you can, uh, first of all, I do like a good ramen. Um, you want to take and, more liberties with ramen? No, I want to. I I want you to think about it outside the box as opposed to just slicing up fruit and throwing it in the ramen. Like you could, you could make a good fruit leather out of something and have that like absorb some beef juices. And I could really see that um, working as a as a part of a ramen dish. I, I think you could, I agree with you that just like slicing up a pineapple and throwing it in a bowl of noodles is not good fruit ramen make. Uh, but, but it I, is what I, it looked like in the anime. It, it too, okay, fair enough. I, I can't argue with you on that point. No, but I, I like where your head's at. I, I really don't like to put like artificial constraints on on food or any of those things, like sort of like saying like you can't have, there's this really famous example from the show I was on, Restaurant Hunter, where Jean George, I don't know if you know who that is. He's a famous um, chef and restaurateur. They had this whole episode where Barack Obama said something like, he puts peas in guacamole and he says, don't knock it till you try it. And everybody was up in arms like, peas in guacamole? Are you crazy? And like Jean George came out and was like, Oh, yeah, peas and guacamole. It could work. It's sort of a classic, like peas and mint. And everyone was like, peas and mint? Are you kidding us? <laughs> but it just shows you that you have to, you really should have an open mind about those kinds of things. But I am getting away from the point. The point is that they go to this place. Uh, one of their fans is there. Kanamori has turned down all of the offers from this, the fellow student clubs that came in following the successful debut of their robot anime in order to branch out and attempt to sell their DVDs at a sort of Comic-Con-esque marketplace uh, event. Well, her point was, look, you know, we don't want to be working for others because we will not profit. We will not reap the rewards of our efforts. And then, then she brings them on this sort of uh, this mysterious journey. And I just want to say mm-hmm. um, my favorite scene, my favorite visual representation of what happened, uh, you know, of, of any of the scenes in these two episodes yes. was the biking to this um, to this town. They're biking through the, the, the forest on the road. 
Um, it's fairly short, just a couple seconds, but it's it's quiet, um, and you sort of see them zooming along. Uh, I remember them biking to go sound hunting with uh, Domeki in the second episode, but I don't remember them biking at the first one. Maybe I'm confusing the two. It is a very Don thing to have done that. Oh, but it's I will okay. Tell you it's okay. That the, that the biking, Our audience loves you. They'll forgive you. Yeah. Well, whether they will or not, I'm still going to make the point that, that the biking bit was my favorite. And I just I just loved it um, in that it it made me feel like I was there and it, it felt like a sense of adventure. I thought it was great. Well, I I also thought that was great, but I will save it for a little bit later. Um, so they go to eat at this place and they meet one of their big fans who tries to sell them on his idea. And of course, it's him as a superhero, basically, as a super spy who throws like ingredients that are made that are, that are in ramen noodles, uh, ramen uh, bowls. What are they called? Ramen soups. Like he throws like peppers at the villains who are like an evil organization and he's a super spy. It's very dumb and very self-centered and it's what we expected. But while they're there, um, they hear that a lot of the shops in that section of town are closing down and Kanamori like suddenly just declares out of nowhere that she witnessed the death of a liquor store. And then from that moment on, we're sort of transported into her flashback with the characters intact. So the characters are inside the flashback acting as if they are physically in there at first, at least. And um, it starts off and it's she's telling this story about this guy who had a successful drinking place. And he had high standards and his high standards raised his prices and the people of town loved his place, but they didn't really want to pay for those high standards of his. Uh, They just wanted a cheap place to get drunk. And so he slowly started losing business. And then eventually when the trains that were going through town at the time were replaced by a monorail, which never actually happened. (laughs) When, when that all happened, uh, the the like foot traffic died out and so it left them they just ended up turning it into a liquor store and that's when her uncle came into it and Kanamori started showing up and doing little chores and getting tips and she'd do a good job so she'd get extra tips and and that's sort of her origin story in a way because what she does is she's very observant she has a good keen eye for business slowly she transforms these little ideas into money-making ideas. So she goes from saying like, hey, why are you closed on a snowy night? You could be the only ones open. And then she goes outside and the uncle is is uh, quick to observe that she clears the section in front of the vending machine because she knows that she knows somehow, maybe instinctually, maybe she just has figured it out that people are going to come to the vending machine first. And from the moment that's clear, there that the place is going to be able to make money off of that um off of that vending machine so instead of giving her tips at that point he gives her a box of things that she can sell and there's this little glint in her eye that i love because she she's so much happier giving getting this opportunity to make money than she is just receiving empty tips and she immediately starts making money. She sells this guy gloves who's coming in to look for gloves for uh, shoveling snow. And she does it, you know, 
I, I really liked that particular scene because it showed her own ingenuity. Like she not only he needed gloves, she tried to sell him gloves. He said these gloves won't work, and she explained how he he'd get them to work. When somebody else said she's like, Oh yeah, I don't I don't have any gloves that'll fit your needs, so you're right, move on. She's like, nope, these are the these are the right gloves, and here's why. She's so gung ho. Like um, a bunch of people come in from the snow, in a sort of caravan, and they borrow the parking lot, and they ask if there's hot food, and she has that ramen there, and she takes the kettles that they're selling and fills them with water, and cooks up some ramen, and they all gather around, and it's almost like you're getting a vision of what could have been, but in the adult world, they're so far in the red. There's no way to save this place and it's going to close. And that sort of reality of Kanamori realizing that if you don't put attention on something, if you don't have good advertising or social media presence, as as the case is in this, uh, is in the Azoken, you can have the best product, you can have the best service in the world, but it won't matter because you can only, you need the money and you need people coming in. This all stemmed from her basically admonishing Mizusaki for having a tan line and not taking enough model jobs to keep her profile high, which I thought was cool. And again, there was no tension there, really. Uh, Mizusaki says what we said last week that, you know, she'd prefer if she were just known for her animation, but she's totally willing to, to do what she needs to to keep things afloat. Yeah, and you wonder... Or I wondered at least, like how much mm. the Kanamori has these grand schemes, and she's clearly very smart, and she she is partially using the other girls, and she's at the same time not. She's just like she. It's not clear how emotionally invested in the Azoken she is, and this is the difference to me between Kanamori and the others. She wants the Azokan to be successful, but the end goal in her mind is not to produce the best anime. It is for the Azokan to make the most money off of that which it creates. And here is where I gain a little suspicion of Kanamori, because to me, the the romantic says the Azokan exists to create beautiful anime, and therefore its success or failure lies yeah. within its ability to create those beautiful things. Um, while as Kanamori's view would be, well, if you didn't make money doing it, then no, this wasn't a successful product. She's putting us on that initial path to evaluate the Azokan in purely monetarily terms. And one of the things that I've always liked about the Azokan is how it it starts to inculcate in us a love of all things about the anime that really have nothing to do with how financially successful it might be. I agree. And yet I also think that um, if no one's watching it, it doesn't matter if it's great art. (laughs) Like how many great indie movies just fall by the wayside and never get anywhere because they're not distributed by A24? I don't know. How many? (laughs) Like think about it. Like what would Hereditary or Midsummer be if they hadn't had that huge promotional arm behind them? Would you have discovered them? Yes, in fact, you happen to have jumped on two movies that showed at Sundance when I was at Sundance. Well, yeah, there you go. I did, in fact, go and look at those diamonds in the rough. So it's very difficult. 
See here, they're by the same director. Analogy, I was just saying, yeah. Yeah, the analogy falls down on that particular front. Fine, um, fine, but but I but I think it's important to to point out that my suspicion is not um, that Kanemori doesn't want to support the Azoken. My suspicion is does Kanemori recognize the the value that comes out of people who are throwing their heart and soul into the work? Um, it's a tricky question. I think I think that. On some level, she knows that only if they create great art will they be able to sell. Um, that she has to make that balance between the two. And that she wants everyone to benefit who's working on it. I I, I tend to agree with that. I, I just... Think, yeah. I agree with you in, in the sense that, yes, um, I wouldn't say I'm suspicious of her motives so much as I think that she has a specific way of thinking of her role and her and end of the product that they make in the Azoken. Um, and I think probably she is one of the necessary components to making something great. <laughs> oh, so I absolutely agree with that, right? Like her ability to leverage other people, other venues, the, all the sort of, elements to create a good presentation um, on top of just the ability to make great art is critical. And so she is in fact a a positive to the to the production. But the the, the one thing that catches in my throat is that she isn't awed by the final product. She doesn't seem to have any emotional attachment to it. She is always like, well, I measure the success in in dollars, not in the, like she recognizes the good product will result in dollars. But mm -hmm. for example, this yeah. last robot project, she, you know, she's glad that they got the additional publicity, but she's like, in order to be successful, we need to make money. And therefore this is why I'm not accepting anybody else's offer. Yeah. Well, she makes a comparison that's kind of apt in that the, um, for years, the baseball club and baseball clubs in general, um, do measure the success of their of their seasons and whatnot in terms of attendance. In terms, of, they could play the best game of their lives. They could make the sport look like it was done. It was being played by the gods. But if no one's watching the sports, if people aren't invested in what's happening, if it's not interesting in some way, that could be just statistics that don't necessarily end up meaning anything i i see i find that very interesting because to me that's not that's not the case right like we have a, a beautiful example of this happening now when people are not attending the stadiums because they can't you know we can't have large gatherings but the the plays for the greatest go on now you can make a very compelling argument that everybody's watching on tv instead therefore it's still attended and uh you're right and i i can't I can't argue you off of that pedestal. But at the end of the day, I think the players believe, you know, they're getting paid for doing what they love. And it's not as important that people watch it so much as that they get to play and win the Agreed. game that they, that they want. Agreed. But behind that is a manager who's thinking about these things or some kind of business manager who's thinking about these things. I'm Cam. I'm Jory. And we're the hosts of CWFP. 
the Casual Wrestling Fan Podcast, your weekly universe-friendly alternative for WWE wrestling recaps, discussion, and riffs from two friends who just love wrestling. And occasionally also New Japan, Impact, and All Elite thoughts as well. If you're tired of Marks constantly booing a product they <laughs> regularly support and pay for, you can find us hosted on the Orange Groves Network or through your preferred podcasting app. Wait, why won't The Undertaker stop booing the company? Hey, Jory, have you ever watched the anime called One Piece? Yeah, Joe, I watch it for a podcast that we do. What? You know, we are watching One Piece. I started watching it so you could rewatch it, and then we talk about it sometimes. I, I, have, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, we don't do it super frequently. Once a month the best. Did, did you forget? We analyze the story and discuss the show's themes, characters, compare it to other media, and how it provides an allegory for real-life politics and events. I, I must have forgotten. What, where can I listen to remind myself? You can listen at the Orange Groves Podcast Network or search for We Are Watching One Piece in your favorite podcast app. What's a podcast? The whole trip to Shibahama, where all of this takes place, is ends up being this very calculated ploy by Kanamori that she kind of keeps close to the vest. And she's trying to get the girls inspired by the scenery. She's trying to implant this idea. She's trying to imbue them with the flavor of the place. With the, with the very specific flavor of Shibahama in order to later reap those benefits, reap those ideas uh, to leverage them for an anime specifically to win the approval and, uh, and funding of the Shibahama Business Council. So, like, she's figured out that this guy who reached out to them as a fan who met and um, spoke with them at the festival um, and has a signed picture of Mizusaki on the wall in the ramen place. She figured out that he's part of the small business council or the business bureau. I forget what they call it. She knows that if she brings the girls there, they're going to come up with an idea based on Shibahama's weirdness because it's something that they've sort of hinted at in the past that they're interested in all of these strange designs but now it's become sort of more concrete and she knows that if she has a product that is based in Shibahama that she can sell it to the the business council it's very shrewd of her yeah it's it's um it's some multi-dimensional chess but it's thinking several steps ahead how do I seed the field for to get the outcome that I want? Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's hard to... Again, like, this is very calculating, and in another way you could see it as sort of manipulative, but, it's, but at the same time, it's not. She's very upfront. Like, I took a look at all these proposals. I rejected them because we're not getting the right revenue. Um, let's go on a trip. Takes them on the trip. And honestly, their minds are fertile fields to be mm, um, very good to be planted in. Yes, and they start gathering an idea. 
she doesn't they're they're happy doing that idea it's not as if they they lost anything along the way yeah right there's there's no idea that she pulled away from them you can't play with that shiny toy you must play with this one it's that she was able to give them the thing that they desired which also met her own desires yes Um, and it's and the, the story does a good job, again, of doing that without tension, without creating conflict, which is what we would normally see or might experience either in real life or in, um, in a more stereotypical show. She and Asakusa, however, do have kind of a conflict that runs even past these two episodes in that Asakusa seems, although she has good ideas and keeps coming up with new ones and keeps much to Kanamori's chagrin. Uh, even though she has the inkling of an idea and and she's strong enough, she has a strong enough vision of what she wants to do, a UFO battle, to push forward and get the art department on and get the sound department on and start picking music. She knows kind of where she's going with it, but... Kanamori cannot get her to commit to the look of the aliens or what they want or why they are. Like, yeah. they don't... What is the story? Right. Like, there's there's plot, but there's no story. And uh, Asakusa is just unwilling to bend on this. And she keeps coming up with these new fancy ideas based on different things she's seeing. And... Uh, it's driven Kanamori into a corner. Well, it's it's more spectacle is driving it than plot is driving it, right? Like we we've, we've mm-hmm. got the set yeah. pieces, we've got what what we're going to animate, but no sense of how that lends itself to any narrative. Um, yeah. And while it is, you know, sometimes fun to watch uh, cool stuff get blown up, um, that's what the you know, the Fast and the Furious is for. Uh, there's, if if you want a story, you're going to have to uh, try a little harder. And I, we are building into a tension there. Um, and as much as Kanamori pushes Asakusa, it's clear that this is going to come if and when it comes and not before. It's almost uh, like the same kind of stress I get watching Project One Runway when they have a particularly hard challenge or they're put into pairs and two pairs aren't exactly on the same level or like they don't, they're on the same page, I mean. Uh, and so they end up like one of them maybe like drags their feet a little bit or they just don't, they're just not in love with the idea that the other one's pushing. And I just feel like that same like kind of like tension in my gut like it's not like i don't think it's like a huge dramatic tension but it's definitely like a kind of like workplace tension stressful it's a stressful yes. episode and asakusa and, and mizusaki are when we say that they're fertile grounds i mean they're literally children <laughs> <laughs> they're just they're like they're 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 reminiscing about how when they were young they used to like imagine all the buildings and all of the like like mailboxes and stuff as robots or aliens or whatever what have you and i was thinking about when uh, maya my daughter was kind of growing up 
um, we were playing Zelda Breath of the Wild. It wasn't too long ago. I was going to say, it's not that old of a show. No, but it's like three years now. Yeah. Fair enough. Still Uh, looking forward to that sequel. (laughs) Me too. Although I'm not really into the Age of Calamity, the Dynasty Warriors version for some reason. Um, When she was young, we used to look at the... um, the hydrants, and we would imagine them as the, what are those things called in Zelda? The, the little tentacled boxes with the laser beam eye? Yeah. I, the guardians. I, we used to guardians. imagine they were guardians. And, uh, you know, she'd, she'd kind of imagine they were shooting lasers and she'd put up our shields and it was really fun. And they do that. And they're much older, obviously, than my daughter. And they probably shouldn't be doing it, but it, it gives them inspiration, you know? Telephone poles as rockets, sure. Why not? Not yeah. really useful, but I'm thinking about but, things in that but way. But a beautiful spectacle. Yes. How can we animate that to look amazing? Yes. Right. And so now you've got two of the three on board. You just have to convince Kanamori that there is a reason for there to be such rockets. And the and the problem is that um, aside from Asakusa's inability to uh, define what these things are in a clear way, um, like the enemy and what they want and and the story. Aside from that, the production is humming. Um, it They've grown so much. They're just straight into it. Like you see, there's a montage of them like uh, putting together things in like... Um, uh, the way that they're speaking to each other is improving. Asakusa has this epiphany about being a director and how uh, explaining to people what you want is a performance and that if they can see that performance, they can understand. Uh, at first, Domeki, it has the sound for the gun. And the gun is a whole other thing. Do you remember that? Like, oh, yeah. She doesn't Absolutely. want it to be a laser beam. She, she's over the no, laser no beam. No Star Wars laser beams for us. Right, and Kanamori's like, well, we need something interesting. And what you just described is fucking boring. Yeah. And Asakusa's like, well, she has this epiphany. She's like, it's not going to be a laser beam, but uh, you will see, like, the fact that it has shot an energy blast that is invisible otherwise. You will see a shell coming out of the gun. You will see vapors you'll, rising. You'll hear the, the hum of the, of, the, of the weapon as it powered up and powered down. Yeah, and also we hear um, that that was where Domeki got involved and had this like kind of like convoluted sound. I also liked how they showed sound waves in this and they were like like layering them like physically, like they were sort of in a editing system. <laughs> that was pretty neat. Uh, visualized, I mean. Anyway, Asakusa then, like, does this whole, like, performance. And it reminded me of when I was in a band, and we had this this guy who was just a, a mad musical genius. And he would come to us with ideas, and he'd just be like, this is the part where it goes, blah, 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 blah. And this is the part where it goes, like, it was, like, that was the level of commitment that he had. And I realized quickly that I didn't have that, and that I couldn't express myself in that way, and would never be able to, like, communicate that. Um, and that was another reason why, like, I just realized, like, I wasn't, like, a musician at heart. Like, as much as I loved singing, uh, for the short time that I was able to do it, I just couldn't. I couldn't work on that level. I never understood music that way. 
And to see someone who did sort of put me in my place. And I, I was watching Asakusa do this and I was like, oh my God, she's doing the same thing. She's doing that like weird, like throwing your body into it performance. And I do that in other aspects of my life. I do that when I pitch uh, ideas or um, like videos and stuff like that. But I can't do it with uh, something that I'm not super confident in. Mm-hmm. Or I guess it, it reflects like if your mind is wired a certain way, you communicate, you you grok it. Um, Whoa. I've hit you with a new one there. You're not familiar What's with What's a grok? grok it? To I'm... grok something is to understand it innately, to grasp the essence of it without needing to research or otherwise um, analyze it. Like and you... that's the word of the day. Good kids and children. <laughs> Grok. G-R-O-K. Good boys and girls and others. I, I, You know, I feel like you should learn something new every day, and today is your day to learn the word. Grok it. That's the word. You know, it's not grok it. It is grok it. Grok something. Oh, it's not like a rocket? <laughs> no, <laughs> not like rocket a rocket. G on the front? No? Okay. Asaksa groks how to frame a story okay i got you that's that's a hard one to mix into polite conversation but i will try i mean you definitely should i'm grokking it (laughs) (laughs) fair enough um yeah anyway i thought that whole bit was really great i i did as well again i just I, i wanted to stress like we're definitely in it seems clear we're in this third arc of the, mm, definitely. Of, the of the anime, which I anticipated. You know, we had the first, uh, the first short, and now we we had the robot video, and now hopefully Zokin will have its greatest accomplishment yet um, with its own homemade movie that will get its get itself its own power or its own return on investment, if you will. We we see as well here. You know, we get a little bit of rumbling about the the student council, um, and I didn't fully understand this this whole thing where they got upset with uh, Kanamori because Domeki was selling sound clips on the side. And I guess you're not allowed to have a side a hustle. You're not allowed to have a side hustle, and you're not allowed to make a cut. <laughs> I guess not. When you're in school, because you're technically supposed to be doing school activities. Well, this seems to be a theme of the next episode as well. So can you carry us through that? Yes. um, So she sets up this deal, basically, where they're going to make uh, the the council is into this idea or the, the bureau is into this idea of town revitalization and the Azo Ken is going to make them a, a video a, an anime that features the town in a very prominent way. Uh, Asakusa has this whole thing mapped out where she's got landmarks placed and everything and it's going to be called UFO Shibahama Shibahama UFO Battle. And the town bureau uh, is going to pay for the whole thing, which is great. But the the school objects to this idea because there's a couple of reasons. I guess they don't like the idea that students would go outside of the school to make money off of things that 
are connected to the school in some way. Or like they have no problem. Me. They have no problem with Mizusaki being a model on the side because it's not school related. But the Azoken making money is somehow seen as garish or I'm not sure what the word is exactly. Maybe you could grok something up for me. Well, I, I actually think that they they do strike on a very complex element, which is when is it appropriate or not to turn a profit? And, you know, you're going to get into like, gosh, am I, Title IX or something about like why student athletes cannot be paid. Oh, yeah, um, that's true. Fact, that is true. You know, wh- why is that fair when, you know, you can essentially – leave and join the pros if, if people do in basketball, right? You right. Know, some of them don't even make it through their senior year because it's like, well, why would I bother? Right. But Well, but why did I bother with my senior year? There's nothing to do. <laughs> but, I mean, at the same time, like, there's, it's a very good point here that, that Kanamori is raising. It's like, well, you know, why can't we make money? And what, I mean, I, I think my, even my acapella group had the same point in, in college because, we made money. We didn't make that much money. But let me tell you, the after I left, the group made tons of money doing things. And we would sell our own CD and we had school accounts. And, you know, we were definitely Northwestern Purple Haze. Like that was who we were. And Northwestern was part of our identity. And the school never got a cut. Um, but we had our own separate bank account and we didn't get a lot of money from the school. So it was very interesting you know, here it's a little bit different because the finances are entangled. They are providing them space. Not that we weren't provided space, but the the, the whole idea is um, the the finances are more tightly interwoven. So how much but are I, you supposed to be um, paying in back taxes that you just confessed to? I'm confused. Well, it goes into a school business account. So frankly, you get to pay. You don't have to pay anything. What? Oh, what a I, grift. I, well, the other nice thing is probably the statute of limitations has run out on any activities I might have done in college. The statute of limitations has not run out on Asaksa looking like George Lucas. That was an interesting little visual that they had in this episode. <laughs> Fair enough. Did you remember that? I, she suddenly I is talking about being a director and uh, she has a beard and a flannel and she's clearly in the Lucas realm i did not get that reference so there we go let's talk about another reference that you may not have gotten but you might have gotten it did you get the akira reference no what was the oh no you just lost all credibility with our audience well i certainly lost credibility with you but i think part of the challenge that comes is when i'm watching this i'm watching it with my eight and ten year olds who often are not um paying complete attention so sometimes i'm distracted but go Uh, on Okay, so when Kanamori chases down Asakusa and tells her to stop because she wants her to go work on the idea and not go on a sound hunt. Uh, I totally see it now that you say it because she yes! rides up on the bike and yes! does the the, the, the dramatic turn. Yes. She does the Akira bike slide. It's even yep. got like little bits of electronic like like cloud dust coming up or something like it's a very uh, dynamic shot. It's very clear, but I'm glad you. I'm glad you got it finally. Well, you just had to draw the connection for me. Yeah, you're, you're more astute than I. Yeah, I'm not sure how much, how many uh, of the animation scenes in this are maybe lifted from other things or sort of homage to them. Um, but that was definitely one of them, and I liked it. 
as far as the rest of the episode goes, um, we were talking about the school and what they object to, but I also want to point out that there's 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 a lot of hypocrisy coming from the adults, which I can kind of relate to in a way, because <laughs> one of the things that they've that they're they're doing is they're kind of holding students up to some kind of weird like uh, rose colored version like vision of of what student life should be. And I feel like that's like kind of a common thing with high schools and things oh, like that. Oh yeah. I mean, you um, you absolutely cherish your childhood, make memories and and Kanamori's not wrong when she's like, "Why?" Like, well, she's we're like still... this is bullshit. Like, why wouldn't you make money? Why wouldn't uh, you make money exactly? Yeah. But like that sort of idea that adults would get so far removed from like like stu- like high school is supposed to prepare you for the next step, whether that's college or that's like going to whatever get a job. Whatever it might happen to be. Yeah. Whatever it might happen to be. It's supposed to prepare you. And it is absolutely about making connections and then leveraging those connections. More so college is that, but still. If you have connections from high school that you can leverage into good business opportunities later, you absolutely should be doing that. Like, Well, I mean, if we're just talking about like, we just talked about if you're really good at basketball, you can leverage that. And there are some, you know, I, it's inadvisable. You're supposed to go to a couple of years of college first. Yeah. But most of those guys are recruited. So, yeah, you know, that is preparing you. And Kanamari's point, you know, which is, hey, if we're supposed to be training us how to live in the real world, this is the real world. And here I am doing exactly what it is you're telling me to do. Why is this a problem? I love when she insults the teachers. Too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like to their face. She's just like... I guess only fools become teachers or something like that. <laughs> and then the um, the one girl, I want to say her name is Shinobu, but I don't remember. Um, she's African-American, I think, or or dark-colored skin. Is she the one who uh, arrives later in the Yeah, uh, it's an interesting thing, right? She seems Sawanda? to have this grudging respect. What's her name? Sawanda. Sawanda, okay. Sawanda um, insults her fellow student council member. <laughs> so it's like, oh, you'll, you're probably going to be a great teacher. Because <laughs> she jumps she jumps so quickly to playing like the good student. She's like, oh, teachers are so valuable. How could you say that about teachers? They're the best of us. Because they're teachers. She's got a very immature vision of, of you know, of that sort of thing. Of authority, I actually thought it was interesting that um, that this character that we were speaking of, who you called Sawanda, who I have not confirmed as Sawanda, but oh, what I love is the total skepticism. There, I'm I'm not drawing this out of the dark recesses of my mind, where it most certainly does not live. You wrote it down. I I, I have it here. Okay, good. Now I may be mispronouncing it. But, it's uh, fine, Sawanda. We're gonna call her Sawanda, and then you're gonna take the fall if this is wrong. I guess I will. Yeah, well, you will. Um, Sawanda does show up when they're doing the sound hunt with Domeki. Thank you. Wow, look at me. I'm forgetting now. I know what kills me is like, I am clearly not the named guy. We've just established that through this entire episode. (laughs) Well, I just forgot these two names. It's fine. Anyway, when they're on the sound hunt with Domeki, Sawanda shows up and... I almost think there's a begrudging, like, respect between her and Kanamori now. Oh, I absolutely see that, yeah. Yeah, um, she's she's very chill. Uh, she's very like sort of 
in awe slash put off by the Azokim and doesn't quite get what what's going on with them. <laughs> Does anyone? I mean, no, I suppose not. I mean, it's it's a testament to the show that we understand how this little click works. Yeah. And but we also got to see these beautiful homages to their past and their thought processes and their families. And honestly, I feel like we know less the least we know about uh is uh Asaksa at this point. Like I feel like we've gotten very rich backstories on the others. Well we got Asaksa's at the very beginning, but other than that It was yeah, that but I didn't I didn't feel it seems by like, the same depth. It seems like she has a good family life. Um, yeah. And maybe that's that's the best thing to say about it. It's otherwise unremarkable. Yeah, I would say so. She has humble roots. Um, I, I, she seems like she probably has a brother or sister, but it doesn't come into anything. Um, that's it. That's 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 the whole episode. Um, Although this one had the bike ride. Yes, the bike ride that we wanted to discuss afterward. Um, I don't remember it being that memorable, but it was extremely short. Um, yeah, you know. Maybe it it could have been as short as ten seconds, maybe twenty. But I I loved it again as sort of it really did evoke to me this this feeling of sort of biking by yourself in the woods um, away from things. And it it was there was no dialogue while they were doing the biking, and there's the city in the background, and I just or the 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 hills in the background. I just really liked it. I really it struck me as like oh, I love this little type of these types of anime, this this little vignette, this little snippet. Do you think you got a better idea of who Kanamori is from uh, from these episodes? No, I have no idea who Kanamori is. Of you course, I did. What? what? <laughs> yes, I mean the what I still I still struggle with the point that we brought up in the beginning is what what are, does she recognize the value of what they have, or is it for her always the profit motive? Like, could we be running a car wash and set up an Azokan? <laughs> that's what I that's what I want to know. Like to her is, is there nobility in the creation of this art as well as the fact that she is doing it for the money? Like I'm perfectly fine if she's doing it for the money. I just want her to appreciate the art at the same time. Right. And in your opinion, are they friends? Well, Mizusaki and Asakusa are friends. Are they? Yeah. They have a shared vision. They can, they collaborate. None of them seem, you know, what's interesting is we saw Kanamori and Asakusa hanging out at the very beginning of episode one before they went to the the anime show. Clearly then they're friends because there is no Izoka. Right. Right. Instead, they're negotiating over whether or not um, Asaksa has to go get her own milk or is going to have to pay Kanamorian milk for going to get her lunch. But I feel like that Asaksa and uh, Mizusaki have more, they they gel more together mentally, right? They, they're on the same wavelength in a way that I don't feel the same with Kanamori. But I also, I, what we haven't, what I don't feel Kanamori's emotional connection, even though here I think they are trying to show it to us because she is emotionally uh, connected to uh, to the town, to, was it Shibuya? 
Shibahama. Shibahama, thank you. To the to Shibahama. Like, I think she really does care about it. That's why she's doing this. Just her, she's emotionally flat, <laughs> if you will. I've seen little glimpses here and there of of her probably feeling kinship with the girls and with the club. She doesn't seem to have any other thing going. No, but I don't really feel like the other... Well, it depends what you mean, but I didn't feel like the others necessarily did. No. Like, we don't have... They They all have good home lives, especially after we see uh, Misusaki's parents being like, oh, yeah, this is great. <laughs> we support you. <laughs> well, at this point, at this point, they're so busy <laughs> uh, with Misusaki both modeling and judging five dozen voiceover actors auditions and uh animating even during class Um, yep that was funny kanamori like juggling hundreds of things at once asakusa trying to direct and manage all these different teams as well as come up with the ideas and animate as well as like it's all become completely overwhelming to the point where i don't think they do have a life outside of all this but that's okay because they're all working towards a goal. It's pretty cool. Um, you will get a little bit more about Kanamori and Asakusa in the following episodes. So get ready I'm for excited. That. Well, there's only two left, so this is this is I the know. end. Of Next week Yuzuken. is our finale. I have to say, you know, this has been. We've talked about this a lot, but I am. My kids are watching all sorts of things. You know, they they've, but they. They really want to watch Azokan after we have these uh, podcasts because they say, oh, so we can watch the next episodes of Azokan. And I'm constantly surprised by that because I know that they can't even follow all of the episodes. Like sometimes I have trouble following the subtitles because they're flashing so quickly. Yeah. I can't imagine that my kids are reading faster than I am. No offense to them. Uh, but they, they're, they're enthralled by it. They really like it. That's great. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with the finale of Keep Your Hands Off Aizouken. I hope you guys enjoyed our coverage. Um, If by some chance someone listening to this wants to join us to talk about the finale, we welcome another perspective on this, especially if you are Sumito Awara, the creator of (laughs) (laughs) Keep Your Hands Off Aizouken. Just give me a ring and I'll get you on the show. Um, We are Okashina Podcast Anime with Friends. That's O-K-A-S-H-I-N-A Podcast. You can find us on Twitter under that name. You can also uh, go to the Orange Groves. Um, We have a Patreon. It's called um, Slash the Orange Grove. The Orange Groves. They are a podcast network that supports um, niche and um, unique voices within the community. And they're just a bunch of really swell people. And uh, we do a lot of stuff with them. Uh, we, I was on their um, tra- charity broadcast, on, and um, they did the Extra Life charity, and they played video games for, like, I don't know, 36 hours? Wow. Yeah, it was a long time. And I don't uh, want to do anything for 36 I hours. I joined them honest. at 2 a.m. to play Monster Party, which was quite <laughs> a trip. And uh, I was also on this podcast called Champs in the Making, which is a podcast that compares different Pokemon and chooses like the winner, like 
which one would you keep? Like this one or this one, A or B? And so I was on there and I, I've been I've been promoting our show through a bunch of their shows and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Great. So if you want to see more stuff like that, you want to listen to more stuff like that, go ahead and uh, become one of our patrons and you'll be able to get lots of great content of which I've made none of it, but... <laughs> but it's all good. It's all good. Someday, someday you're going to reap a windfall of Okashina Podcast content. Don't know when that will be, but until next time, Okashiku Ikkoyo! Ikkoyo.